1: Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's episode, Richard and I discuss Hosea's reading of Genesis, exploring the biblical concept of anti-heroism as expressed in Hosea's critique of the patriarch Jacob. Along the lines of Hellenistic literature, the addressees of the Bible want to believe in its characters. They want to believe that Jacob is a good guy, unfortunately for Jacob, and in contrast with Hellenistic literature, in the biblical tradition, there is no one who is good. There are no heroes, no champions, no protagonists, and no individuals. In the Bible, there is only God and a single choice for humanity, life or death. You're
0: listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And you are listening to episode 24 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Dr. Benton, when we preach about Scripture and we teach Scripture, people are often frustrated because when they approach literature, they want to hear about the protagonist. They want to know who the hero in the story is. Who's the person they can look to as an example? Who's the person into whom they can project their ego to feel some kind of gratification for participating in the narrative? You go to a movie, you want to know who the star is, and so you can follow the star and root for the star. But in scripture, it seems that all the people that we want to consider protagonists aren't protagonists. Take, for example, Jacob. What the heck is going on with Jacob? You want to believe Jacob's a good guy, he keeps making it difficult to believe he's a good guy. What's happening?
0: Yeah, no, you're right, Father. We always want to have some kind of affinity with the patriarch. We want to look up to the patriarch and follow the lead of the patriarch and that sort of thing. Because everybody wants to be the patriarch. Everyone wants to be the patriarch. Right. Everyone, Obviously. Because the patriarch is the one who runs the show and the patriarch gets to determine things and the patriarch is the one who creates the family, you know. And Hosea 12 has a great description of a scriptural point of view of Jacob, if that makes any sense. I mean, Jacob is a scriptural character, but it talks about Jacob in Hosea 12 in a particular way. And it actually brings up the origin of Jacob's name. So we have Jacob, and then he's renamed Israel after his struggle with the angel. But it's interesting because in chapter 12 of Hosea, in verse 2, the Lord also has a dispute with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. So the very things that gave him a name, that made a name for Jacob are the very things that he's gonna be punished for. Now, we have to understand that there's an extrapolation that happens in this poetry between the individual Jacob slash Israel and the nation Israel, and it goes back and forth in a playful way. And so he's punished precisely because he contends with his brother from his womb. Before he was even born, he was causing trouble with his brother. The supplanter. Exactly.
1: It's funny because people want so desperately to believe in Jacob as the good guy because they're so used to this concept of a hero or a protagonist, which we've inherited from Hellenistic literature. But really, it's beyond Hellenism. It's just a human paradigm. It's the way the mind works. That they try to force upon the story this idea that Esau was the bad guy and Jacob was the good guy, but it's not true. It's actually all upside down. What should strike you about the story is that Esau actually was a victim. He was the oppressed. He was the abused in that relationship. So then why did God choose Jacob? I mean, that gets into the whole discussion of grace. But again, getting back to your point, why is it that we struggle to hear the story clearly?
0: And the story is saying he supplanted his brother in the womb and he kept taking the place. He kept forging his own identity. He keeps making his own place in the world. And then it's just in parallel with this, in his womb, he took his brother by the heel and heel that's take by the heel, that's Akab, that's the root of Jacob. And in his maturity, he contended with God. And this is Yisrael, Sarah, to wrestle with or contend with, so he contended with God.
1: Which is pejorative. Unfortunately, I've heard many modern exegetes speak affectionately of how brave Jacob was to wrestle with God. but This is completely anti-textual. Completely divorced from what's actually happening in the story because what the writer is telling you is that Jacob is a pain in God's neck. Like a spoiled child that you're constantly having to convince not to do something stupid. I mean, Jacob is definitely a problem.
0: Even if you were to say that the character Jacob in Genesis could be interpreted either way. Here in Hosea, he makes it clearly a negative. So Hosea is exegeting the character. Yes, exactly. So it's
1: not that Hosea is giving you a scriptural perspective on Jacob. Hosea is making sure you understood the point of the text's own original portrayal of Jacob.
0: Yeah, you put that very well, Father. He's exegeting Jacob for us and Israel for us, that he's the one who's been supplanting his brother from before he was born all the way to his fight with the angel later on. And so this is what he's always done. So when he contends with the angel, this is when he is showing his nature. Yes. His name demonstrates his nature. His birth demonstrates his nature. His fighting with God shows his nature. And this is the problem that's been happening all along with Israel in the book of Hosea is that they can't stay loyal to God no matter how hard they try, from their very womb, they cannot stay loyal. If God,
1: if you take care of me, then I will follow you. Can you imagine reading again the wrestling here in Hosea against the backdrop of Genesis? Can you imagine anyone who has the guts to dictate terms to God. If you scratch my back, Lord, then I'll scratch yours. It's terrible. I mean, Dr. King delivered a famous sermon on this question.
0: Yeah, and so the contrast with that is in verse six, return to your God, observe kindness and justice and wait for your God continually, this is the opposite of what Jacob was doing. He wasn't waiting for God, he was fighting with God. He wasn't observing kindness and justice, he was fighting with his brother to supplant him. So the Lord is trying to describe what the ideal state of Israel would be.
1: A merchant in whose hands are false balances, As though he can barter with God over his affections.
0: And he loves to oppress. And this is what he does with his brother. Right. On more than one occasion. He takes advantage of his brother. So the actions that Jacob shows are incorrect according to Torah and the way that you're supposed to treat others. And so then Ephraim brags about how he's rich and that there's no way that there could be a possibility that this was because of wickedness. You know, this is obviously a blessing. And then he switches the point of view, he switches the scenery. In verse nine, he starts talking about the land of Egypt. I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again, as in the days of the appointed festival. So back when you were in Egypt and you had to live in tents. After Ephraim is bragging about how they're rich and there's nothing that could possibly be iniquitous about this money that they have, he says, well, let's go back to Egypt. For the Lord, the ideal time was Egypt because what happened in Egypt, they were taken out from underneath the human authority and put under his authority, and they relied on his providence. They could not provide for themselves, even if they wanted to in the wilderness, they can't. They have to rely on the Lord. There's either relying on the Lord or death, not because the Lord will strike you, it's because if you don't take what the Lord gives you, there's nothing else to take. You either die of starvation or lack of water, whichever one comes first. That's it. You either depend on the Lord or you die. This is the ideal situation in the view of Scripture because it's complete reliance. You don't have a choice. Oh, do I stay with the Lord? Do I not? Do I go with Baal? Do I not go with Baal? Look, Baal is a fertility god. In Sinai, he has no effect because there is no fertility. There is no Baal there, but there is the Lord. How do you know? Because you're alive. That's the only way. It has to be by a daily miracle of the Lord keeping you alive. That's it.
1: You woke up this morning. What's your problem?
0: Exactly. And if you wake up in the middle of the desert with no food and no water to be had what's your problem it's obviously a miracle there's no discussion there's no problem to be had there. it's just
1: beautiful how it cancels out the victim mentality you have to constantly remind people that there's always someone who's got it much worse than them eventually you go down to the bottom which is the person who wakes up in the wilderness with no food that's a very hyperbolic way of saying there are no victims
0: yeah they're the ones who stay with the supplier of life and those who leave the supplier of life it's the only two types that you have there's just stupid people and smart people (laughs) And there's fortunately one criterion for smart. It's all there in Psalm 1. (laughs) Yeah, right? Just teach your children Psalm 1. Right. Well, and it's interesting because in Psalm 1, it's the tree on the river that becomes big because its roots are in the water. But in the wilderness, there is no water. You keep the roots in the water that quenches thirst forever, like Jesus says at Jacob's well. Ironically, at Jacob's well. But... What happens later on in this chapter is this great contrast between Jacob and the wilderness in verses 12 and 13 because Jacob fled to the land of Aram and Israel worked for a wife and for a wife he kept sheep. But by a prophet the Lord brought Israel from Egypt and by a prophet he was kept. So it's a beautiful poetic line where it says Jacob was in the promised land and left in order to become a slave. But the Lord found people as a slave and brought them to the wilderness to make them free under him, meaning they were now his slaves, but the slaves were such that they were able to have life. So he contrasts, there are two paths. There's the path of Jacob, who is completely free, who chose to put himself under slavery, and Israel, who is completely enslaved, who is allowed to be freed into the wilderness and put under the law of the Torah, the law of Moses. And this is the contrast. You can have one or the other. And this is what I find really interesting, is that in this chapter, it makes things black and white. Maybe elsewhere, they're not as black and white, but in this chapter, they're black and white. Jacob, contending with God, doing what he wants, taking care of himself, and if that includes going into slavery to get his wife, then that's what he does. you sure
1: you're talking about Jacob? It sounded a lot like individualism. Yes, Jacob (laughs) is- I didn't know they were talking about the individual in scripture, but it sounds like they are. Well, look, (laughs) what is the
0: individual but someone who contends with God? Yes. You can't be an individual and also be submitting your will to the Lord and submitting your will to Torah. You can't, the Torah becomes your will you can't be an individual anymore. And interestingly enough, in the wilderness, there were hundreds and thousands of masses and only one or two individuals that were directly appointed by the Lord to be individuals, and most of them didn't even make it out. The contrast, when we understand this chapter, is that you don't anger the Lord, like it says in verse 14, by deciding to go off and do your own thing, enrich yourself, and then pat yourself on the back about how you're pretty much a good person, which is exactly what Ephraim does in this chapter, because this is what Jacob does. Jacob does what he wants, and what does he end up doing? He ends up enslaving himself, literally, to Laban. And for the Lord, the ideal situation is Exodus. And this has been the case since chapter 3 in Hosea. And
1: and it's amazing, because going back to the Jacob-Esau paradigm in Genesis, The conclusion that a scriptural person should draw from that story is that it's good news that God gave his blessing to Jacob or that God allowed Jacob to be blessed because Jacob didn't deserve it. So here you have Jacob receiving all this bounty freely despite the fact that he's the biggest pain in the neck in God's fold. And so in the end, instead of accepting this free gift from God, He chooses still to be an individual, to earn his own way, to do it his way, to struggle with God and insist on his own choice of wife, his own life. And he ends up as a slave in Laban's household and he has to work seven-
0: Twice times seven years.
1: Two times seven years, which is a double portion. A slave to death, essentially. To be a slave to your father-in-law, trust me, it's just being a slave to death.
0: And let's not forget where Jacob died. Jacob who ended up coming down to Egypt. Then they had to bring his bones out of Egypt and to bury them in the promised land, which is the land that he left. He left the land. Why? He left it because he wanted the abundance that was offered in Egypt. Whereas
1: Isaac sat on his rear end in the land of Canaan while his father went off and made all these arrangements to get him married. Isaac would have been the perfect child, which is why Isaac is the child of the promise, because Isaac was completely powerless, happily powerless in the hands of his father, and ultimately in the hands of God.
0: Finding the wife in the land, like Isaac, versus finding the wife outside of the land in slavery, this goes back to chapter one of Hosea, where marrying the other gods is slavery you're putting them under them as if they are going to provide for you they don't provide for you only the lord provides for you
1: and what's so beautiful about this metaphor is that like all scriptural metaphors and paradigms and situations it says something about everyday life while we don't live in a society which relies upon a system of arranged marriages even today people who are wise seek the counsel of others in their own personal growth as they try to decide what kind of a person do i want to be with if they just go after the person who makes their heart race without any thought for the kind of person they are, what their priorities are in life. You end up enslaved. Because you didn't seek the wisdom of the older generation or the wisdom of people who have a different perspective than you and you just relied on your own desires, your own perspective. That plays out in the paradigm of Jacob and Isaac. That's right. I'm Jacob to say.
0: decided to shun his homeland and to go off on his own to find somebody and he was a victim of those people outside the land and was enslaved by them because he was tricked, as opposed to Isaac, who stayed in the land and depended heavily on the counsel of his elders, and he was kept safe. So I think you're either with God or you're against God, and it's not at his peril that you drop him. It's at your peril that you drop him, and this is what Hosea has really been trying to teach, and this is chapter 12. We're almost to the end of the book. He's been trying to teach that The bad things that you experience are because you've distanced yourself from God. People want to be angry with God. People are upset with God. Okay, but what have you been doing to make sure that you're adhering to God? And we have the verse here. Are you dedicated to kindness and justice? Are you completely loyal to God and to Torah, more importantly? right? And this is the thing. Or are you trying to split the difference like Ephraim and say, "Oh, I'm rich, but I know I didn't do anything bad."
1: That sounds amazingly familiar. I think
0: I've heard someone say that recently outside of the Bible, but I don't remember.
1: Let's just call it horrible and leave it at that.
0: <laughs> sounds good. Thanks very much, doctor. All right, Bell. thank you, great you very great much for You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.